Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of the Wander Pass. Your host, Ty Tanat, here with my boy, Terry Roethlisberger. How's it going, Terry? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, man. It's a beautiful day here. Happy to be out. Uh, Terry is in Waco right now, getting ready for the Waco Annual Charity Open. And uh, today we have our special guest with us, Team Wander Ambassador Tristan Tanner. How's it going, Tristan? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, yeah, this is exciting. Yeah, for sure. We are definitely happy to have you on board here. We'll probably have you on throughout the year as we go across the country as well. Uh, today's a special day, though. We have uh, a little bit. We're going to get to know you a little bit more. We're going to dive deep into your background, uh, a little bit about yourself, your personal background, like your family, how you started playing disc golf, how you got out there on tour and what it takes to get out there. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Um, for those that don't know much about you, where are you from? Do you have a sports background? If so, what sports were you in? Competition background? And give us a little bit about your family background, if you don't mind. Yeah, so first off, I'm from uh, just north of Boulder, Colorado. It's uh, Longmont is the town, and that's where I grew up. I was actually born in Texas, but moved to Longmont when I was pretty young. Uh, and so my sport background or competition background started pretty early. I got into sports pretty young. I think soccer was probably my first sport, like most of us, I feel like, start with that. Um, but kind of just found my way through, uh, played a little bit of baseball, played a little bit of lacrosse, uh, but ultimately found basketball was my main uh, main sport that I found and really dove into deep and loved a lot. And that's the sport that I mainly played in high school. Um and I played very competitively with that. So played on all sorts of travel teams, uh, traveled the country really to play basketball during the summer and then uh, competed um, during the school year with my uh, just uh, high school team and whatnot. Uh, and that was really my uh, love, my main love before disc golf. And uh, at the, right at the end of that, I ended up getting injured, actually, and that's kind of what made me find disc golf was uh, injury in my senior year. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of my sport background and competition background. I've always been very, very competitive. I have three younger brothers as well. Ooh. And so, yeah, I've been super competitive my whole life. I bet. Cool. So what drew you to basketball? Did you have, like, like for me, it was Michael Jordan. Did you have a favorite athlete or anything like that that drew you there? Uh, not really, not until like after I started playing basketball or really got into basketball, did I find any like superstars or idols in basketball that I really loved. Uh, so yeah, I think it was more just the, not necessarily the skill ceiling, but just like the combination of the technicality and the athleticism you have to have in basketball. Uh, I really enjoyed, and I think that's just kind of what drew me to it. Sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge basketball fan, too. Um, do you have a favorite team, college or NBA? I, it's funny. I've, I've played basketball for forever, but I have never really watched basketball at all. Yeah. So, no, I don't really have any favorite teams. That's all right. What about you, Terry? Did you grow up with a different sport? I mean, obviously, besides disc golf, did you play any other sports? I pretty much played everything. Like, I yeah. played everything up until about high school. And then I just dropped out of pretty much every single sport. But I tried playing lacrosse, and then I broke my collarbone oh, geez. And on April 23rd. And then exactly one year later, I decided to break my femur 
Oh my god! On the same Ooh. exact day. Oh yeah. Break your femur. I broke my femur in half. I had a bone tumor, but it was luckily wow. it was non-cancerous. But yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. What? One that year is... apart, uh, and then for like, wow. for like the next three years, my mom was like, "You can't do anything on April twenty third. So yeah, April twenty third. <laughs> here we come. Lock them up. And so it's safe to say that injuries brought both of you to the sport of disc golf. Then is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. So for you, Tristan, how did you find the sport? You said you got injured. What happened? What made you start playing? Yeah. So I got injured and kind of lost my love for basketball and there was this ridiculous course this kind of comes up in every podcast or interview that i do but this course uh probably about five minutes from my parents house is wide open pretty much dead flat there's one hole that has elevation change on it but the total course distance has got to be like nine or ten thousand feet no trees no anything the shortest hole is 360 feet and I went to my local play against sports one day because I was like, oh, I've been stuck inside in a gym for like my whole childhood pretty much playing basketball. And I just wanted to get outside, do something non-contact. So I went to play it against sports, grabbed some discs and went out there and started playing. And I thought that that was the normal course distance for disc golf. (laughs) (laughs) And so just out there just hucking bombs and... I would hate those courses. Getting sevens on every single hole. It was, it was a pretty interesting way to start, really. I would not like that course. Yeah, so it was, I mean, I assume it was pretty difficult. Did you have any sort of Frisbee background? Because, I mean, for instance, when I first started, yeah, we played a local course here, Walnut Ridge. It's pretty well known in the area, but super difficult. And, I mean, every time I would throw the disc, I had no idea what a hyzer was. But, you know, just dumped left every time. Oh, yeah. I was like, what is going on? Did you have yeah. any sort of experience beforehand? Or was that the same thing that happened to you? So, yeah, that was pretty much the same thing that happened to me. I had, like, looking back on it now, through my childhood, uh, I took, like, my family has always, like, done road trips or, like, traveled a little bit. And we always seem to have, like, an ultimate Frisbee with us. And looking back on it, I always loved throwing the Frisbee around like with my dad and brothers and stuff. So I think I've had the love for Frisbee for a long time. And so, yeah, when we start, when I started disc golf, it was the same that everyone started just where everything's going left. You're trying to like air bounce it like you would a normal lid and Mm -hmm. your disc is going like a hundred feet max with a (laughs) fast driver normally. Yeah. It's better than my first day on the course. I hit someone in the back of the head with a dog disc. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what did you say to that person? What did they were they they come yelling at you or what did well, you do? No, because it was literally he was like he's like hey just I was like hey can we play through and he was like yeah go ahead just don't hit me and I was like yeah say less <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and yeah Whacked hit him, him in the back of the head he just turns around and he goes. Dude, what is wrong with you? That's I'm hilarious. Like, my bro, I'm throwing a dog disc. Like, what do you want from me? That's incredible. And then, yeah. yeah, the guy gave me like four discs before I left the course. Yeah, it was super cool. Wow. That's yeah, really first day. Wow. Really good that's first cool. day. Yeah, that's awesome. Really good. Yeah. Do you still have any of those discs? No. Those That'd be pretty cool if you, you had other, You hit other people in the back of oh, the head yeah, with those discs? Oh, yeah, I hit other people and they stole them. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, um, so from there, so obviously you started playing disc golf. Did you immediately take an extreme liking to it like you did basketball, how you played competitively? Did you start to find out other people in the area that were playing? Did you start to look for tournaments? How did you progress in the sport? 
Yeah, so, I mean, I caught the bug right away. I think my first day playing disc golf, I played for, like, four hours or something like that. And, uh, yeah, going back to basketball a little bit, I I played so much. I mean, I probably put in eight hours a day playing basketball, shooting. I had a, a hoop in my front yard. I was constantly shooting or dribbling or always had a basketball in my hand. And so when I started playing disc golf, it was just very natural to put in that amount of time. So I just really started grinding right away. And with the amount of distance that that course had, I almost just out of necessity had to find how to throw farther. Uh, Not necessarily focusing on form a ton like right away, but I actually ended up doing probably more field work in the first six months of me playing than I did playing on the course. I got really obsessed with throwing the disc very far, and there's a huge field right next to this course that I still do field work at when I'm home that it's probably, I think it's like five or six soccer fields lined up next to each other, so just massive piece of grass and just out there throwing 360s throwing as hard as I possibly could I videoed myself a lot to compare to other pros like Eagle Paul Ricky those those types of players and yeah just accelerated very quick and just put a lot of time in right away is that the place where uh you threw the thousand foot drive yes same place all right all right sweet that's awesome. So when so you didn't have like a coach or a a friend to look up to or anything like that to teach you. You just went straight to YouTube. No, yeah, I, I went straight to YouTube, and yeah, I think my first, I think the first thing I watched on YouTube was like Big Sexy's debut or something like that. Was my first disc golf experience on YouTube, and then yeah, nice. once you find disc golf on YouTube, you're pretty hooked on on disc golf on YouTube. For sure. What about you, Terry? When when you first started playing, how did you get your game like better? How did you work on your game? Did you know somebody that taught you, or did you go to YouTube, or did you just keep throwing until you figured it out? Uh, so pretty much it was trying to beat Alex Geisinger. Yeah, that was that was literally what it was. I every single day, him and Tommy Locke, a couple of our buddies, we would always go to the course, we'd practice every single day, we'd take trips to Iowa together, and we actually took a trip down to Des Moines, uh, and we played all, this is all in one day, we left at like 2 o'clock in the morning, got to Des Moines, played Big Creek, we played Pickard, we played Ewing, and then there was another course that we played, I think it was Grandview. Grandview? Yeah. I think we played those four courses in one day and then drove home. Wow. Wow. That's and insane. That was because we wanted to get away from the winter. And yeah. And, yeah. And it was just, I was so dead by the end of the day. But, like, yeah, I mean, going back to the question, I guess, uh, yeah, pretty much just every single day they would be beating me every single time. And I couldn't really throw as far as them, but I could definitely putt just about as good as them. So that's, I just had to pretty much learn how to put it in the basket every single time. So pretty much the same as now. Yeah, same as now. Yeah, I can't throw as far as people, but I can throw it in from like 90 feet every yep. time. So it's hopefully we get better at that. There you go. I mean, it's a learned skill too. It's a, it's a much needed part of everybody's game. From there, Tristan, so you started playing more, started doing field work. I assume you started feeling pretty good about yourself as far as how your throw uh, was feeling and how far your throws were going and your putts, I assume, were getting better. So 
How did you find out about tournaments? Yeah, so probably about two months in or so, I uh, went to... There's two other nine-hole courses in Longmont that are probably the two best nine-hole courses in Colorado, and we you, they're close enough where you can kind of play them as 18 holes if you wanted to. But I went to one of those courses to play, and there was, it just happened to be a league night. And so that's kind of how I got into my local league, Longs Peak Disc Golf Club. Shout out to them. Super great family I have there uh, just with that local club. But, yeah, got into that club, and then we have a local tournament in October that ended up being my first tournament just because everyone was talking about, oh, you need to play lunacy because whatever, you have all these skills and whatnot. And, yeah, so that's kind of how I found the tournament scene is just through my local club, and that was at the end of 2017, I guess, was when I uh, played that first tournament in October. Sweet. So what level did you start at? Were you playing rec, intermediate, advanced, pro, like – I went straight to advanced and uh, finished second to last or dead last in my first <laughs> tournament. And, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's how that went. I have to say I have to say that a week before or five days before that tournament started, I got my appendix taken out. Oh, oh. and you played? Yeah. That's and then I played. Great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. That's pretty awesome. So how are you feeling? I mean, because I, I know a kid uh, when I was younger had his appendix taken out. He was in the hospital for two to four weeks, I feel like. Oh, we wow. Just back at it a week later. Yeah, no, I mean, I was up walking around. I mean, I think I started throwing like a day and a half after I got it taken out or something like that. Wow. That's all abdomen. I mean, right? I mean, your hip rotations, a lot yeah. of abdomen work. I mean, you weren't worried about ripping stitches or anything like that he well was, he was throwing all arm back then <laughs> now yeah, yeah. it snips. was it was all uh i don't i don't know i felt like i went through the progression and like i had like no pain when i started throwing again i obviously i started like more low power before i was like ripping full power shots but yeah maybe i probably could have waited a little bit longer but i definitely got back into it pretty quick nice i feel like so it's been winter here, obviously. I just got out and did some field work and played a couple of rounds this past week. I threw a couple of forehands and felt like I ripped my abdomen in half. Like, Oh, yeah. I doing that. <laughs> yeah, forehands after a long break is probably one of the most <sighs> brutal things you can do to your body. Yeah. I had to take a good three days off. I needed a massage, ice bath, everything in between. It's been oh, a long, geez. cold winter here. Terry knows. Yeah. So. yeah. Um. But, yeah, what about you, Terry? I want to know about what was your first tournament experience like. Do you have anything similar to Tristan? Um, so my first tournament was the Spring Rip It in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota. It was it was my first year. Or I, I started, in, like, in September, so then I played over the winter, just playing, like, intermediate leagues and stuff like that. But my first, yeah, the first tournament was the Spring Rip It, and I played intermediate. And I shot, I think, like, two strokes worse than the top pro in intermediate. Oh. And then the nice. next round is where, see, this is why I'm intermediate, is I shoot really good, and then I shoot really bad. And I ended up tying for first with this one of this other, he was the leader of our the league that I went to every week. And, well, so he ended up, uh, like, shooting a really good score and tying me, and... I ended up beating him in a one-hole playoff, and that was my first intermediate. You, and then, 
Yeah, I won my first. You won your first tournament. Yeah, what was that? Tournament. What was the rated round for that first round? It was you know? like I think it was like a nine sixty, and then I shot like a eight ninety. Yeah. Wow. Nine oh, yeah. sixty for your first round. That's incredible. It was. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. I. I mean, I bet if I just went back and looked, but. I literally all everyone that I was talking to at the tournament, they were like, "Bagger, bagger, <laughs> bagger, move up, move up," and it's yeah. like, well, "It's my first tournament. I don't know what the heck I'm doing." How far? Like, how far into playing were you when you played that? Five months. Okay. September yeah. So to, about the same as me. Oh, uh, actually, six. Yeah, it was about six months. So, oh wait, oh, what was okay, it? Okay, we got a ah. Okay, it was nine forty four, and then nine fourteen. So wow. it wasn't a 960, that's it was a 944 for my well, first straight around ever. That's really good. Yeah, what year was that? Uh, 2013. Yeah, I mean, that's all. I mean, I guess I don't know what average, like, MA1 rounds were back. I guess that was MA2, wasn't it? Yeah, you would have been smoking people, I feel like. It was. Okay, so if I would have played, I would have been in I would have been in fourth place. In open? For, in open for the, after the wow. first round. So That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, yeah, and then I decided to uh, shoot really good the second round and tie for first. <laughs> so, and then get the win. It's all right, you, yeah, you took it home in the end. Yeah, I didn't want to win by that much, so yeah. I had to tie. Yeah, ease win. up on the field a little bit. Yeah, jeez. So, did you bag and play intermediate again in your next tournament? I played. I played up? intermediate for two oh, more tournaments. Oh my gosh. But again, I would shoot a really good first round. And then I would suck the second round. So I went, I'm not kidding. It'd be like, like, if you look them up, it's literally, I play really good the first round for my first three tournaments. And then, the definition uh, of bagging. Yeah. So I, I, I win my first one, get second at my second tournament, and I get third at the next one. Wow. And then I finally decided to move up. So Yeah, shout out to our uh, research department, Marky Chap, for getting us the PDGA results. <laughs> but yeah, Terry again went 964 and then a 906 right after the second round <laughs> to lose by two strokes. <laughs> but that's hilarious. What was my third one? Uh, I don't know. Terry, you needed um, some tasty tacos in between your rounds. I did. That would have helped dude. you improve your second round. Oh my goodness! Okay, yeah, and then Terry's third one. He was leading the leading the tournament after the first round with a nine seventy. He ends up finishing in a tie for third with an eight ninety three, <laughs> losing by three. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's so impressive. I know. Three tournaments in a row. Yeah, three Splits tournaments like that. That's winning, crazy. like leading the in first place by like it's like three strokes, and then I ended up losing the other two. Oh so. my gosh! <laughs> So what? I mean, did you have like just mad nerves running through you, or what happened? No, no nerves. Just Terry just had some just... anger management issues. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Uh, yeah, gotcha. I mean uh, Terry sometimes still does that, but it's not, it's not as bad to where I'm going to shoot a 890. Hopefully, I like this third person thing. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know where he went. He just he he hid in the yeah, ground. That was for, Terry. Yeah. Hopefully, the rest of his old life. old Terry. Yeah, yep. old Terry. He's gone. <laughs> Oh, that was John. Nice. That was short hair Terry. This is long hair Terry. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, your hair is amazing. You got to keep it going. You hey, should be on a seventies, a seventies like family TV show. One hundred percent. If I get on Jomez, it's going to become a mullet. So that's oh, please, literally first great. round on Jomez, oh, it's going to be gosh. a mullet. So that's amazing. Nice. Y'all either well, we better got some goals. Yeah, I got to get on Jomez. I better play better. <laughs> yep. We got some goals this week, man. Hope you. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you're out there preparing. 
All right, Tristan, let's go back to you. Um, so you played your first tournament, struggled a little bit. Where'd you go from there? Yeah, so played the first tournament, struggled, went on to play two more tournaments at the end of 2017. They went just about as well. I think my rating after those three tournaments was like 875 or something like that. Or I was I, I know my first three ratings updates were like 958, 964, and or not nine. 858-864 and 875. And so I played those three tournaments then to 2017 and realized that I was awful at putting. Oh my gosh. Looking back on it now, I probably like my comfortable putting distance was probably about nine and a half feet. Yeah. Hey, that's 100 percent right It was right it was crazy. Like I know like going back looking on it with how much field work I had done and like working on throwing far I had so many I, I I think in those three tournaments combined I probably had like five or six eagle looks on par fours and ended up taking bogey or worse on all of them wow that's yeah. impressive <laughs> yeah very impressive <laughs> so yeah so those three tournaments <laughs> made me realize that I was really bad at putting and then for that off season I putted a thousand putts a day for three months and Man, that's, and that's impressive. Yeah, and I turned. And his putting only got worse. <laughs> I turned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I ended up turning putting from being my worst skill to being the strongest part of my game over that off season with that amount of putting. Especially from 150 feet out, he's just like, go oh, <laughs> <no> peer. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's awesome. So from there, so you obviously got better putting. Where did you go from there? Um, did you go straight? Did you stay in MA1? Did you go pro? What happened? Yeah, so I stayed in MA1. I played, I believe, 12 MA1 tournaments to start the 2018 season. And I was just kind of a middle-of-the-pack advanced player. Wasn't really doing too well or too bad. Just kind of finished right around that, like, 10th place range. Most of the time, I think I cashed like three or four times probably in those 12 events or funny money cashed. Uh, and then I, right at the end of that, I ended up winning an advanced tournament, which is still my only career win. And oh, wow. I shot my first thousand rated round. And I believe I was back by six. It was a two round tournament. I was back by six and I was on fourth card and I won it outright by one stroke with like a ten eighteen rated second round. Hey, there we Very go. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, played a couple more tournaments in advance because I was already signed up for them, and then that's when I moved into Open, and I played 14 Open tournaments to finish off the 2018 season. Right on. So I guess I want both of your opinions on this. How do you guys feel about the whole you have to play to win kind of mantra? Like, so you say you start an intermediate. You have to win in an intermediate tournament before you move to advanced, and then... You play your way through there. You have to win an advanced tournament to move to open. Like, what are your guys' thoughts and feelings on those? Is that is that I'm, necessary? I mean, yes, because I mean, uh, yes, but no. I mean, you shouldn't really. You don't have to win to move up. Like, that's not really required. I, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's just. Like, yes, there's some people that will never move up because they haven't won a tournament. But then it's like. If if you don't really move up to push yourself, how can you really know if you're ever capable of doing better? 
Like if you're playing against the same people every single week, and yeah, you're beating them by six strokes, but you're not beating the one guy that shows up from out of state. It's like, I mean, you're not really pushing yourself to play in open, but then yet there are some people that aren't ready to play open. So it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, I'm in like a similar school of thought there. I don't feel like you need to win a tournament to move up to open, but for some people, for some people I think they need the confidence of winning to feel like they have the skill to play at the next level. But for me, like I yes, I won that tournament in advance before moving up to open, but I had decided prior to that that I was going to move up to open anyway. And like me, I mean, you can look at my PDGA, and I was that middle-of-the-pack advanced player, and then I think I cashed in 11 of my 14 open tournaments when I moved up, and I went from being a like, middle-of-the-pack advanced player to being a top-of-the-pack open player just because playing with better players pushed my skill level, I was getting to see better shots, and my game just progressed way more when I was playing with yep. those better players in the open division. Awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of the stuff that I've always heard. Uh, playing with those better players, learning new shots, new shot shapes, different ways to manage the game and kind of play the whole golf aspect of it. So um, when you were doing that, when you are moving into Open, were you playing mainly Colorado or regional tournaments or were you moving around more to the Midwest or South or West or what was going on there? Yeah, it was pretty much all Colorado events. I think I played one or two Open tournaments and then my third... My second or third open tournament was the Land of Enchantment Open down in New Mexico. And this is a crazy story, is I believe I was 913 or 914 rated at the time going into that event. And after two rounds, I was averaging 1035, beating J.C. Kester, Paul Ulibarri, like all these other players in the open division after just moving up averaging like 120 points above my rating which was absolutely crazy but other than that i pretty much just played local colorado events i think i guess at the end of that year i went down to play like the veterans park open down in texas just to get one more tournament in in like decent weather because it had already gotten cold down in colorado or up in colorado whichever one you want to say on that but yeah so pretty much just uh local tournaments and then after that is when I decided to go on the road in 2019 and start playing all the tour events. Sweet. So that's kind of what I want to get into. What factors led to you like thinking that you could go out on tour? Like when you are just kind of an up and coming MPO player regionally, what like went through your mind and what led to you being able to say, Hey, I can go tour. Yeah. So I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, to be honest. I just kind of had seen the touring players playing on YouTube and thought, oh yeah, I think I can do that because obviously it looks way easier on YouTube what they are doing than it is to actually do that. And so it was more from just straight up not knowing and wanting to push my skill level. I had seen such an improvement when I moved from playing advanced to playing open and just playing with that better skill level really pushed me. And so I thought if I go on tour, the worst that could happen is that I get to play with better players and just see what the game has to offer. And yeah, so that was, that was really what my decision kind of thinking was, was just, I want to play with better players. I want to 
be at the top of the game eventually. So might as well just throw myself right into the fire and just kind of learn how to survive. For sure. So how did that process work out? I guess, did you know that you wanted to get a van and did you know that you wanted to just live in a van and ride around the country or how did that play out? Yeah, so van life is something that I wanted to do long before I even started playing disc golf, actually. And so when I was kind of deciding I wanted to go on tour, that was, it was just kind of this uh, opportunity for me to then live in a van as well and kind of like make these two dreams come true kind of at the same time. And so, yeah, I just uh, decided I want to live in a van. I had been living in my kind of crossover SUV in Colorado for all those tournaments, like four days a week, pretty much just living out of that with a cooler and stuff and a little like sleeping pad and just knew that I wanted an upgrade to do it all over the country. And so I traded in my car and yeah, I got a van, started converting it and yeah, that's how that started. So how old are you when this is going on? Um, how old was I? I guess I was, I would have been 19. Yeah. 19 when that, when, when I got the van. Yeah. Right on. So you're just like, I want to go travel the country. Might as well play disc golf while I'm doing it. I have, uh, I assume you have some sort of resources backing you. Like, how did you go about buying the van? How did you go about, um, fixing it all up? Where did you get all of, I guess, the money to do all this? Because obviously it's not just a cheap, quick fix to put together your own touring van. How did you do that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I had, um, so I had worked for a year. So I had a good bit of savings saved up uh, kind of specifically to do that because I was working through the whole time that I was playing all the local tournaments. Um, And then uh, the trade-in value on my car was pretty big. So uh how I got that car was my grandparents got it for me for a birthday present when I was 17, I think. And super grateful for that because it, uh, they, they invested in me early. It's not a bad birthday. And yeah, so was able to use a lot of the trade in value on that to be able to get the van. And then, uh, the actual build out, uh, my, my parents kind of backed me with that and, uh, helped me get, uh, part of the cost of building it out. And yeah, just that's, that's pretty much where all the like financial, uh, support came from to get it. Awesome. I mean, you have to have that sort of support both, uh, financially and physically, mentally, you know, that support to go out there and do something that you love and, you know, just follow your dream. So that's super awesome to have a supportive family like that. Um, how did that process as far as building out the van go? Did you watch YouTube videos? Did you know somebody that could do it? Did you have uh, friends that had vans? Like how did you determine what the layout was and where you were going to get all your resources and all that good stuff? Yeah. So I had watched, like I said, it had been kind of a dream to live in a van for a while. So I'd been watching like van life YouTubers and stuff for quite a while. And so I had a pretty good idea of, of the the products and the actual um, like brands that they were using and how they had their van set up. And so then I just kind of took that and then took my knowledge that I had from what I wanted just by living in my car for a while. I kind of had already got the kinks of like what I actually need and what I like want in there and was able to just kind of make a uh, like rough plan from there and then just kind of 
made everything work as I went. There wasn't like a super set floor plan or anything starting. And then uh, I built it all myself. But then uh, I have a good friend, Nate Metzler, who actually just did really well at the Memorial. He finished 10th. Uh, He's one of my good friends from Colorado. And uh, he works in solar. And so he helped me put the solar panels on the roof and get all the electrical set up with my van, which is was super awesome because I would have had no clue where to start with electrical. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I don't know if you want to divulge this, I guess, but for people that are out there and are interested in getting a van or touring and all that stuff, I know we have, shoot, I want to say I know of at least three to five young kids here in my area that they're 20 to 25 that are all building out their own vans this year. Oh, sweet. What's like the, what kind of budget would you give them for buying a van and then building it out? Like, do you have that kind of in your mind somewhere, how much it costs to start all that up and finish it out? Yeah. Well, it all depends on, um, like what type of van you're wanting to get. So like, obviously you can go with whatever budget you want, Um, So I won't necessarily talk about the budget for the van itself because you can kind of – you could go as expensive or as cheap as you want in that way. But for me, building it out cost me about uh, like – I think it was like ten and a half or 11 grand. And so – and I kind of built it out exactly how I wanted it right away. So I didn't want to be like fixing it up as I was going on the road. I just wanted to have it good and set so I have this home – um, that's very stable through my whole time. So that's that's the budget that I used for the inside. But then, like I said, I mean, you could you could get a van for like as little as a grand, probably, or upwards of a hundred, yeah. couple hundred thousand dollars as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Just get a pimped out van with everything you need. So, yeah. um, what <laughs> what are some of like the goods and the bads of of van life? Um, man. So for me, there's there's like not many bads to be honest. I've I I really enjoy the lifestyle. The goods for me are just I'm always able to be outside. I can be very spontaneous with how I want to live. Like if I wanted to decide today that I wanted to drive like 20 hours across the country in the next two days, then I could do that if I wanted to. And so, just always having my home with me, always having all my stuff is something uh, that will be really hard to like go back to normal living at some point, which I don't even know if I'll ever do. I feel like I'll always find myself in some sort of tiny home or uh, just living on the road in some way or another. Um, but yeah, for me, there's not really much uh, bad from it. Uh, obviously, uh, sometimes it can be kind of hard to find a, a safe feeling place to park or it's not always going to be the quietest while you're sleeping or the temperature might not be always the best, but for me, the, all those other pluses that I get from it, just the spontaneity and being outside, uh, just outweigh those things by so much that they don't even feel like bad things. For sure. Oh, that totally makes sense. What about you, Terry, since you just started your kind of RV tour life this past year, I know you're on the road last year, but now you're in your own basically moving home obviously mm-hmm. what's it been like for you so far it is it's been literally life-changing like i love every bit of it we i mean yes there's there's usually like there's something that always happens where you got to fix it like we get to waco and i had to take out the battery because our battery started leaking battery fluid 
if that's what it's called. Wow. Battery acid. Yeah, maybe? battery acid. Yeah, not battery, <laughs> battery fluid. Battery fluid. Yeah, battery yeah. fluid. You know, you know, we out here. <laughs> but yeah, it's just. I mean, it's a learning experience. I bought an RV not knowing anything about it. So literally, me and my girlfriend Erica, all we do is watch YouTube videos if we got to get something fixed. Like, and like also the disc golf community, we had. Uh, we had a couple things wrong with our RV, like the lights and other stuff. And then, like, we needed our generator looked at. I made a post on one of the Phoenix Flyer pages or the uh, or like the Desert Flyers, and we had like four people come out and look at our RV. And That's I gave awesome. this one dude like seven discs, and he checked out our generator. And then uh, Roman, he is from Phoenix, the the Phoenix area. He came out and he put a new like uh, blink or like our left blinker for some reason it wasn't working so he just put a new blinker like switch on and now everything works so it's like i said it's it's absolutely amazing and then yesterday i've i took apart our like all of our stuff that's hooked up to our battery and i went out and i had to because it was leaking so i had to go get a new battery and went to AutoZone, and now i just gotta after after we're done with the podcast, I got to go put the battery back in. So, yeah, it's just a, it's wow. a, it's definitely a learning experience. But I mean, it it's it's awesome. We're out here, like we're out here just living, just doing pretty much whatever, and also doing what I honestly, I mean, I I can honestly say it is living the dream. Like it's yeah. it's amazing. So, I definitely recommend it. Like if you guys have like a dream that you guys want to do set your mind to it and set a goal plan or like a goal for how you guys are going to be able to attack it. So it's, it's definitely awesome. Yeah. And to piggyback off that a little bit, I I just wanted to say it it kind of feels like both of us have this experience and I'm sure Ty, you have the same experience with starting wander or uh, probably in a couple other ways, but in some form or fashion, at some point you just kind of have to take the jump and just mm-hmm. dive into it and you're going to figure out a way to make it work. Yep. And there's going to be some hardship along the way, but if you just jump in, kind of start chasing that dream that you want to do or any little thing even in your life, you just got to kind of take that jump and just know in the end you're going to you're going to get through it and figure it out. Yeah, don't give up. Like yeah, it's going to yeah. get hard. It's going to get hard, but I mean there's always going to be people that are there to help you. Yep. Like you can reach out to anyone, I bet. Yep. And it's it's awesome. Agreed. For for sure. Yeah, I would totally agree with that too. Yeah, you just kind of have to jump in like you said and there are going to be a lot of bumps. But there's a lot of resources out there for mm-hmm. you if you have any interest whether it be van life, traveling for disc golf, playing professional disc golf or starting your own company. There's a lot of resources out there and a lot of great people out there, especially in the disc golf community that provide so many resources and are so willing to help. So obviously that's just massive. Um, So to kind of switch gears here just a little bit, um, kind of the last thing I want to go through here is when and how did you get sponsored, Tristan? Like how did that process work? You're sponsored by Latitude 64. Um, You started playing MPO and touring. Did that come after the fact or did that come before that? Yeah, so kind of that 2018 season where I was uh, played half advance and half open, I was I sent in on the team application for DD Latitude and Westside probably about 14 times over eight months. 
And uh, so pretty much at the end of that season, I think they were like, like, man, this guy's so annoying. Let's just uh, let's just stop emailing. Let's just uh, (laughs) let's put him on the team so we don't have to check this. But I'd I'd shown a lot of improvement. Um, I had upped my social media game quite a bit in that amount of time was very active on Instagram. So I think that helped. Uh, my rating had went up over a hundred points in the, that year, and so, uh, yeah, pretty much just bugging them a lot, getting my name kind of in their brain, so that when they were looking for someone to fill a spot on the team, I was kind of just that first thought was was really how I got on the team, and that was right at the end of 2018, like I had said. So, actually, after I'd got the van, um, but before I had actually hit the road officially. So persistency pays off. Yeah. Um, did you specifically go after DD Latitude 64? Was that what you were throwing prior to, you know, reaching out to them? Yeah. So I had a full like trilogy bag for about a year up to that point. I had a really close friend who played for Latitude at the time. Uh, and so was able to get some discs from him and, uh, just kind of had the resources to already be bagging their stuff. So they were kind of my main main uh, company or companies that I was kind of trying to go after. Right on. So obviously, you know, obviously I own Wander and we have ambassadors and, uh, you know, we need people to help represent our company, represent our brand. So what I'd like to ask you, if you're okay with divulging, is the Latitude 64 ask anything of you were they like we're looking for people that are doing this whether it be a thousand rated or whether it be um you know you have a certain amount of followers on social media or on your youtube or is it you're playing a certain amount of tournaments did they have anything like that that they needed you to show to them before they basically uh, brought you on board uh, not, not really or at least not anything major that I can remember it was more uh, kind of like when I was signing that contract, obviously it was just an ambassador contract, so it pretty much just included allotment and like maybe some bonuses and stuff like that. But it was, I think there was some sort of tournament requirement, and like that I had to play a certain number of tournaments and I had to uh, just be active a certain amount of times on Instagram or just little things like that, but nothing like super specific that they're like, oh, for you to get on the team, you need to do this. It was kind of they they were putting me on the team, and then um, if I wanted to pursue these things and kind of be able to move up through the team, then the, that was kind of uh, how it was put to me, I guess. So I just find you exceptionally active on you know Instagram and YouTube. So you just kind of took that upon yourself, I take it, that you wanted to showcase yourself, your skills, maybe some buddies or some colleagues that are in the sport. And you took all that on yourself as far as figuring out camera work, uh, editing, all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So Instagram kind of came first and then I started YouTube at the end of my 2019 season. So at the end of my first touring year and it was totally just like off of a whim, like, oh, I just want to try making a in-the-bag video and decided to make an in-the-bag video and then just kind of kept kept consistent, just kept wanting to, like, make this content and kind of with everything that I do, I have a very hard time just taking it casually. And 
So anything that I'm committing to, I'm going to go 110% into it. And so I really just dove in, did a lot of research on how to improve my camera work or improve my editing or how to uh, title my videos better or do better thumbnails uh, and or even just it be like posting at the right times to get into in front of the eyes of the most amount of people and just what videos cater to my fans the best or uh, just really everything. Just I took a lot of re- time researching and a lot of just put a lot of work into it uh, mainly. Yeah, no, we can tell for sure. If you are listening and you don't know, obviously follow Tristan Tanner's YouTube channel. It's awesome. He puts out videos all the time. Not so much now that he hurt his hand, but I'm sure yeah. he'll be back here once that's healed and he's ready to go and he obviously uh, also includes other players on there like Terry. I know he had bigger names like Brody Smith and um, I can't remember the other guys that were in that video. Ezra. but Ezra, obviously, yes. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> obviously. Uh, so, yes. So, obviously, uh, is that kind of the goal of it? I mean, I know, like, as a viewer, I mean, I enjoy watching you, and you obviously represent Wander, so I enjoy it as well. But – as a person making the content, I assume it's a goal of yours to increase your overall like profile so that more people know who you are. Is that kind of your goal of it or is it just to have fun or is it a little bit of both or like, how's it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think obviously any person who is putting out content online, um, takes into account somewhat of the growth. Like obviously if you're on Instagram or if you're on YouTube, you would like to, grow just because one you can see more or get more people's eyes on your videos uh and kind of like push uh what you're trying to put out there a little bit more but for me it's really just i enjoy doing it i absolutely love making the videos they're so much fun i love doing the editing i love camera stuff i do a lot of pictures outside of the youtube stuff too so i just really enjoy that whole realm of uh, I don't even know what to call it of photography, videography, and just like producing content. So for me, it's more just about having fun. And then I think if I'm having fun and just being myself online, there's naturally going to be uh, a growth in my following on top of that. Definitely. That's kind of the way I look at it too. I think we are like kinship spirits. Like if I were younger, probably your age, I feel like I'd be out there, on the road with you, just helping you film and take pictures and stuff like that would be, that was my ultimate dream when I was 20, 21, 22. And I guess I just didn't foresee what YouTube was going to be and how big it came. And also the sport of disc golf itself, like obviously it's blown up mainly a lot in the past five years due to all of that. But, um, they were still, the sport was huge back then too. I mean, it was huge 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, YouTube has just given it a spotlight for more people to see, like the sport uh, on a bigger level too. So, um, yeah, I absolutely love like filming and editing too. I just don't have any time for it with my full-time job. So, uh, perhaps someday I'll get out there and I can at least watch you do what you love. That's, that's basically, you know, why I started wander too, is to help players that love the sport of disc golf and want to push the sport forward. Like the both of you guys do. So, I don't have a whole lot more. That's basically what I wanted to know. Just get to know you a little bit better. Definitely have you on the podcast again. Uh, 
For sure. And uh, I know Terry has Waco coming up this week. Do you have anything uh, to say about Waco coming up here, Terry? you have any goals or anything I'm like that? I'm so happy to be back in the woods. <laughs> it is so nice. And, like, I mean, Waco, you don't have to throw far. There's, there is literally one hole where it helps you throw far at Waco, and that is hole 18. Yep. Like, that's, that's yeah. literally the only hole that – and usually it's a headwind. So, I mean, and even when you do far – or, th- wow. When you do far. When you do far, <laughs> you uh, you throw really far. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, like, I mean, yeah, I just – I usually just throw, like, a force off the tee, just lay up, and then throw the zone and get my three. So, that's – I mean, that's the game plan, but – yeah, it's. Nice. I'm super excited to be at here back in the woods. It's uh, and then next week we go to Belton and it's not the woods again. So yeah, we're gonna we'll see how that goes. I'd say I'd say Terry has a very uh, good chance of playing very well here at Waco just because of the placement shots that he has and especially there's a lot of forehands here. Yes. At Waco and obviously Terry's a very good forehand player and a good putter and that's what you have to do here. So I think Terry has a good chance of playing well this weekend. Yeah, and I played uh, I played a practice round with my buddy uh, Austin Hanum. He uh, he was showing me like sidearm lines that I never threw last year when I was here. And I was like, why would you throw a sidearm here? And then he throws it, and I'm like, you're an idiot. (laughs) 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 Like, It's just right there. So I was just like, I mean, yeah, it's just. (laughs) So to clarify, you are the idiot, not Austin. No, yeah, yeah, I'm an idiot. (laughs) And I was just like, it's literally all you got to do is, because I am a way more accurate thrower throwing sidearm than I am backhand. I mean, it's it's just it comes easier easier to me than it does a backhand. Same. And because yeah. I mean, for one, like throwing a backhand, you turn your back away from the shot, and yes, you do a thousand reps a week, but it's still it's just. I feel when you're looking at the shot, you can be a little bit more accurate than when you turn your back to it. Yeah, I feel you. I'm a forehand predominant player too. I like to throw forehands through tight lines because I can. I feel like I can. Yeah, I have a better vision of where it's going to go from there. Yep. Um, so, Tristan, what are you going to be doing for the weekend? Yeah. So I'm just going to be doing, uh, kind of following along with friends, doing some media for Latitude uh, and DD, and just kind of being there, supporting my friends, uh, and just kind of enjoying the humidity that we have here in Waco because yeah. I've been in the desert all off season. I hate the humidity. Nice. <laughs> we have not seen the sun since we came from. Phoenix. Yeah, that's true. That's what I don't like. Oh wow! Like, what is Just, this central uh, stuff? Like, I don't, I don't like it. We don't see the sun here for six months at a time. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's not like cloudy. It's just kind of foggy. Like it covers the sun, I guess. Over yeah, here, well, where I am right now. Like, what but. is that? Like, we didn't see. So also in Waco, <laughs> we were. So I was there from about February. No, not not in Waco, but in Phoenix. Arizona and Vegas from February like 7th because that's when we got there to like I guess this Saturday I've not seen rain I don't know what my body's gonna do in the rain I don't know if I'm gonna melt I don't know like we haven't seen rain so it's it's just it's way different it's (laughs) who knows what what I'm gonna do I'm gonna melt (laughs) oh my god Uh, well (laughs) 
It is going to rain there. That's what we've been told. Oh, so yeah. maybe you will melt. <laughs> oh, God. But- no! I'm melting. <laughs> Uh, but we will uh, we will see how you play out there, man. All right, Tristan, one last thing before you go. I want to know, since you're not playing, give us the, the top three finishers this week in MPO and MPO. Ooh, okay. Sheesh. Um, ooh, that's tough. Okay. Uh, in MPO and FPO. Okay, I'm going to say MPO, I think, I feel like Rick has got a very good chance of winning just with his forehand-backhand combo. I think... I'm going to say Nate Perkins. He's played it well here in Upset. the past. All right, um, Nate. I know I like he hasn't it. had the best past couple seasons that he wanted to, but uh, I'll put Rick and Nate and... If you don't say Paul, that's just like... I'm going to say Big Germ. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Double upset, it's, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's always, I mean, yes, Big Germ. Big Germ, great pick. And, Paul, it's just it's hard to literally not choose Paul in the top three. Because I mean, yeah, he shot eighteen down here. Yeah, like, hot hot take. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be as weak. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then Sheesh. FPO, FPO. I mean, I gotta say Paige. Um. I gotta go Paige, Cat, and then I'm gonna go Heather Young because it is kind of a placement course. Heather and Young. Heather Young, yes. Heather Young with her putting and Cat placement golf. I think she has a good well chance to do well. So those are my three picks in MPO and FPO. Right on. Well, there you have it. That was really good. Your mail. I guess I didn't realize Germ wasn't much of an upset pick because he won it a few years ago, didn't he? Yeah. And Nate tied Germ in a playoff, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 What, three years ago? Okay. Three or four. I can't can't remember. I got research back in my picks. Don't don't worry. I'm not just taking them out of the blue. Hey, I did not say I didn't. I did not say that I disliked (laughs) them. I just said you just can't not have Paul in your top three. Like it's just yeah. that's like it's hard to be like, hey, do you think Paul's not going to finish in the top ten? Well, clearly, I I did not have Paul in my top three, so there yeah, we, well, <laughs> we will see how it plays out. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. Big thank you to Tristan Tanner for joining us today for the podcast. Additionally, good luck to our boy Terry Roethlisberger this weekend at Waco. Have fun out there, bud. Thank you all for listening. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Leave us some feedback. Comment on our posts. Let us know what you think. And uh, we'll get back out there and get some more podcasts rolling as soon as we can. Thank you all for listening and have a great day. Peace out.